Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hey, welcome back to Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers along with my friend and partner, John Carlton. How you doing, John? Pretty good. I'm very excited about this first show of the new year. It's uh, 1978, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. Once again, it's 1978. And my hair looks great. I'm so thrilled about that. <laughs> there, was a, there was a great New Yorker cartoon where these two guys are in heaven, obviously, you know, clouds and their, their things. And this guy's uh, standing there, and one's got a, got an afro, and uh, the other guy has uh, normal hair, and the guy the afro is saying, yeah, I wanted my hair back after I died, but not my 70s hair. <laughs> <laughs> I that was pretty funny. That's great. Yeah, so this is going to be a hot one. Uh, this is something that's typically only talked about sort of behind closed doors among freelancers. Uh, we're going to kick those doors open today. We're going to talk about uh, client horror stories and the lessons we've learned from them. Uh, you know, look, there, there's this whole idea going around and has been for years. Uh, the famous quote, I, I think this is Gary's, uh, that all clients suck <laughs> is, <coughs> is something that, you know, freelancers kind of uh, latch on to. Uh, this is about the actual relationship, the dynamic of coming together uh, as strangers, it's very much like dating and the idea that you you, really, you get hot and heavy together. You're so committed. And, uh, and then when things go wrong, it's pretty painful for everybody involved. <laughs> and it can, be, it can be even legally complicated and there's, there's all kinds of fallout. So... Right. John, so John, uh, I want to get your uh, general thoughts on it, and then we're going to share a couple of our horror stories and hopefully help people uh, avoid those. Yeah, I, I think one of the best things about being a freelancer in multiple markets rather than concentrating on, say, one client or one uh, niche, and then, you know, so you're only dealing with a handful of clients is when you branch out, when you become a very broad-based um, uh, uh, freelancer who deals in multiple uh, different markets, you get to sample a wider range of the type of insanity that is out there. Mm -hmm. And you learn some very, very, very valuable lessons. If you're watching for lessons, and that's something you need to do, especially early in your career, but also throughout your career. I mean, the lessons never stop. And yeah. sometimes you need to be reminded of some of the lessons that you haven't, you know, thought about in a long time or haven't come up. You know, a lot of the stuff like, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the stuff that comes up with clients is about money, about whose version of the ad gets run, about money, about um, uh, uh, when things happen and, and when deadlines happen, money comes up, um, <laughs> you know, it, and, and it just goes on and on like that. And it's, it's, it, there are lessons to learn. There are ways to deal with things. You can, 
you can go through a career like a mafia boss and, you know, just to leave a trail of bodies behind you. And that's one way to do it. It's very tough. And if you're not naturally inclined to that, it probably won't work very well for you. And uh, then there are, you know, and, and I'm thinking about Halbert, for example. You know, he was kind of a, a boss <clears throat> the way he went through. But he also was humbled by clients, you know, who just discovered stunning new ways to screw up an, an easy gig. Yeah. To, you know, to change the headline, to decide that the payment details in the contract were a little too generous or uh, to just change things, you know, to to the, the, the capacity seems to me, and this is one of the big lessons that I took, the capacity for humans seems to be that once things get going good, something in everybody's head starts thinking up ways to screw it up. And it's, this is most evident in entrepreneurs if if you have entrepreneurial clients, as soon as they get a good thing going, an ad or a series of ads or, or a launch process that gets going, as soon as they make a lot of money, at some point, they're going to have a meeting with themselves or with their staff or, or whoever, and they're going to think of a way to complicate the hell out of it and take a simple, elegant idea and turn it into some nasty, snarling beast that will eat them alive. Mm -hmm. That's just the natural second stage of entrepreneurship is to take a successful business and crash it. And, you know, if you don't understand this as a writer, uh, I talk to so many writers who say, oh, yeah, this guy's great. He, he, he says money's not an issue. <laughs> um, he's, he says he'll mail whatever I write without, without, uh, without editing it. And, you know, and, and that and a few other things. And I just laugh. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, good, good for you being so naive. And, and <laughs> you know, be happy in your bubble, little writer, until you go out in the world and get your, get your hands smacked a few times. <clears throat> because once you learn these lessons, when those things come up, like, a, like for example, a, a, a client says, money's, money's not a problem. You know, we don't even need to talk about, about your fee and, and payment schedule. Well, that's a tip off that money is very much a problem. You know, or he wouldn't be bringing it up. So, in this, I've never encountered a situation like this where that wasn't the case. And also the the old thing of no good deed goes unpunished. One of the things I have to knock out of <clears throat> young writers' heads is he is to when they get on the phone with a client and start you know, doing hour-long phone calls before there's a check been written and they're giving away all these ideas. Oh, yeah, we could do this, this, and they're brainstorming. It's like, dude, you're giving away free advice there and he's not going to hire you after he's gotten enough. And there are clients out there who will do this on purpose, try to get you to divulge stuff. They'll ask for samples and then rip you off. They'll uh, ask for ideas of what you might do and then take that idea and do it themselves. <clears throat> Those people exist out there. And until you have either been warned and had taken it to heart or until you've gone through it yourself, which is the way most of us have to learn these lessons. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's the old thing of doctor, my head hurts when I hit myself with a hammer in my forehead. And the answer is stop hitting yourself in the forehead with a hammer. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, we have to, we have to go through these, these periods of sheer stupidity as freelancers. Yeah. So don't take it to heart. We all go through it. We all, we all lapse back into it. But horror stories are what old-time uh, veteran writers talk about when they sit down at the bar hmm. and start uh, talking. Uh, Kevin, you were with us at the AWAI event <clears throat> where we had a lunch with uh, who was there? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Jim uh, Jim Punkery, David Deutsch, uh, Paris uh, Lampropoulos, uh, Paris uh, uh, Armstrong, uh, Richard Armstrong. Yeah, 
uh, you, me, and there was one other, I think. Well, we're all writers. And, uh, Deutsch, yeah. Yeah, Deutsch. And, <laughs> you know, it's like the lunch almost immediately degenerated into telling you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And, and it was hilarious. And it was like, you know, a lot of these we didn't know. And we, and, and we knew... We knew the stories viscerally, even if we hadn't experienced yeah. the same thing with the same client. We all knew. Everybody what was knew happening. the punchline before it got there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that that's true. And it's it was interesting for me to hear the the sort of the nightmare stories of working with publishers, because uh, for me it's been a lot more working with entrepreneurs, right? And you know, the other thing you develop over time is some red flags. And again, yeah. somebody could tell you these, and you would blissfully ignore them thinking ah that's just something they noticed or you you can't have this lesson without the pain that comes along with learning it uh but for me some of those red flags were uh which should be an obvious one was because i did a lot of launch copy uh and so you know a first time launcher and even if they'd been in the game as an affiliate or had a couple of products out there that were selling okay uh, nothing compares to actually running an affiliate launch of a product, a Jeff Walker style launch. It is... It's like the difference between being a young man who hasn't been laid yet and <laughs> he who has had the deed, you know, yeah. under his belt. It's, it's like, true, right? Yes. Yeah. And you just can't know what it's like, what it feels right. like, what it smells like. And uh, man, I'll tell you, what, what I used to, I eventually just. And launches do smell. People they, don't understand. Smell very bad. There's an olfactory distastefulness <laughs> to launches. That, yeah. It's, I, it's, it's, like, it's like, what does that smell? Oh, it's me. I've been up for three days solid, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't moved from this chair. Yeah. <laughs> Sheer panic. Yeah, we're going to have to burn this this chair when we're done. The dog won't look at me anymore. <laughs> yeah, where's the dog? Yeah, man. <laughs> I ran away three days ago. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's funny how you evolve as a freelancer and, and this sort of like lends into the adult in the room stuff where first it was like, oh boy, you know, I would still accept first time launchers because I felt like I, I didn't have a choice and I knew it was going to be a nightmare. Then we get to the point where I would say, I'm just not doing it. Uh, or, or then I would say... Uh, you had to be wooed into it. Yeah. yeah, then I would add a fee. I would say, look, I'll do this, but I'm adding you know, a, a few thousand dollars onto my... Because I'm going to have to babysit you through this. It's yeah, a high anxiety. The grief anxiety, fee, we call the it. The grief fee. And uh, you know, some people would say, fine, I get it. I, I need need the guidance. Other people, no, I know. You're crazy. I know what I'm doing. Okay, good luck. <laughs> so uh, that in... You know, the other one was for me why... I, 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 when I look at the, the the handful of nightmare horror stories that I had, there was always partners, you know? There's always one, uh, it, it's almost worse to have a two-person committee than maybe like a, a, a thinking like a, like, a, like a publisher would have a room of writers who are giving, you know, more hopefully directed feedback. Kevin, uh, when, when a client, a spouse, a girlfriend, or anybody in your life starts saying things that are out of character or seem to be contrary to what they were thinking or agreeing to before, someone has their ear. Yeah, yeah. That is a rule of life. And yeah. this, is, this works in divorce, uh, you know, pre-divorce proceedings and, and everything else. Things can change in a heartbeat. And if you don't find out where, who's got their ear, then, then yes. If, if you're dealing with some, where there's a silent partner 
you know, who can come in at the last minute and nix things, you got to find out where that is. And you probably have to learn that by, by experience. By experience. And you just you can sense it. And you can learn to recognize how, how do they talk to each other? Are they always both on the phone? Like you said, do you have... It's a married couple. Have you ever played poker with a married couple? No, no. I have. Back in college, and, and my college pals and I still joke about this because she would kick him under the table. <laughs> and it's like, they didn't consider this cheating at all, but they were... You know, it was... Like, it was it, you know, you were playing a team there, and and they weren't very good at it. But so it was more hilarious than anything else because the guy would get so so drunk that he'd make stupid bets anyway. But it was just it was just funny. She'd give him the evil stare, you know, or like you know, like in bridge, you know, they're trying to with the eyes tell you how many how many bids to make, and right. it's 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 you know it's funny. But in business, it's less funny. So yeah, especially when yeah your sanity's on the line because yeah, and then you you turn in copy. Uh, you know, sometimes you don't even get to the draft before the thing starts to unravel, right? You know, I, I, one of my favorites uh, I used to get early on was you'd agree, uh, you know, they'd say, I, I want this to be different. I want this to feel unique. You know, yeah. let's, let's keep to the fundamentals, but, you know, I don't care what the trends are. I, I want to step out and make a name for myself in this business. And these are my principles, right? Yeah, and not then, really. <laughs> you, you, get, you get to work on that draft, and then you always get the call. You go, hey, did you just did you see Johnny Guru's uh, launch yesterday? Man, we should do something like he's doing. That's a killer VSL. Or, and you're like, oh, Jesus. You know, here we go. And then just everything's out the window. Uh, and so it's so much of it is therapeutic, just trying to keep everyone dialed in to what you agreed to in the first place. Yep. And I, I should mention, based on what you were saying, that my most successful client in history was the, uh, uh, the guys at, uh, at, at TRS and, and OHP, the, the golf and, and the self-defense guys. Yeah. But I wouldn't have had that relationship if I hadn't had all these horror things happen to me prior to that. In fact, I refused to work with them because I was in the middle of taking off six months to rejuvenate after a particularly brutal period with clients. And they wanted me so bad that they just kept up in the ante until they finally said the magic words that I didn't even ask them to say. They said, John, will mail everything you write as you've written it and we'll just suck it up, including legal fees. Hmm. And that was taking off the leash. And I'd never had that before. I had, I realized up to that point in, a, I think my career was 20 years, well, 15 years at that time. And I was an A-list writer already. I hadn't had a single piece go out that hadn't been stepped on by somebody. Even Halbert had stepped on my pieces, you know, or, or you know, had had his little go through. He he didn't screw it up, but it, yeah. it was I'd never had anything go out from me thinking about it from start to finish and then putting it out there. And I thought, wow, that's what did it. It wasn't the money. Hmm. Uh, but I also knew that I I had to have other caveats in the handshake agreement we had. By the way, and these guys are still sending me. Mm-hmm. Um, Royalties. Uh, royalties 20 years later on some of these ads 20 years on a wow. handshake agreement Amazing. well that's that's finding quality clients and one of the reasons i did the handshake is i it's either going to go well or it's not yeah. and a contract isn't going to make any difference and i kind of trusted these guys because i'd worked with them a little bit before but the the contract i had was <clears throat> you're going to pay me on the fifth of every month, a check's going to arrive. And they tried to weasel out of that almost immediately because they had some cash flow crunch. And I said, the cash flow crunch is your problem. It's not my problem. I don't write until I get that check. Every-. So I had them trained to get the check there on the fifth of every every month. They're still doing that, by the way. Um, and I said, you know, 
my deadline changes from when you get me the interview or the information on this stuff. That's when the, the two-week deadline or whatever it was I was asking for starts. And all these things, I was being kind of a hard-ass, but I was doing it out of knowledge of how things can go wrong. If you agree to a two-week deadline on a piece, and in your head you're thinking, of course, that's based on me being able to interview you today, getting all the information in a package, you know, the FedEx package tomorrow that I need, and having access to blah, 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 all of this stuff, Yeah. then in two weeks, and they say, sure, and then they take a week to get you anything at all, yeah. and then they still want, and then suddenly your deadline is a week away. If you don't negotiate that, you, you, know, it, you can't take it for granted that they understand and the right. deadline starts when you've got your stuff. You have to spell all that out. So that's where you're going through these things. Mark them down. You know, it's like have yourself a little checklist on the wall. Just say, you know, if, you know, horror story number one. You know, the guy promised me payment on the fifth, and here it is the seventh, and it hasn't arrived yet. Never let this happen again. You know, mm -hmm. and then you know, uh, move the deadline back for every day. I, I move the deadline back with places like Rodale. Mm -hmm. after that i you know and they were outraged it's like nobody had ever done that to them before i said <laughs> i'm sorry and you're going to pay me before i start writing the deadline doesn't start until i get the check yeah and they'd never done that before they always put writers on 60 and 90 day uh, payment schedules mm. and you know i don't know if anybody else is doing it. i'm sure i'm not the only one who kind of ran them over the coals on that but you know i got them to do it it was but i was a you know i held the you can't do that until you have a little bit of power, which is, and sometimes all your power is, is I'm just not going to do the job. Right. That's where the, that's where the screw you money comes in handy. That's where all of these other things we talk about, but all of, all of these protection tactics and strategies that we have as freelancers come about from being screwed by clients. Sometimes right. the best clients you have. Yeah. Are we, we going to share some stories? Now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's hear, um, I want to just add tag on to that. It was you and Stan who taught me this. Remember when we were trying to make uh, work the stable and we so we had a contract put together uh -huh. and Stan was the first one to teach me. It's, you know, th there is a deadline for you and a deadline for your client to yep. get you the material you need. And if they miss that deadline, it does not mean that the project starts that many days later. It means that it may never start or it'll have to go to the end of the calendar and the, and the, and the deposit is non-refundable because you yeah. cannot buy back the time that you allotted he, he not to be doing work. But you know what? I've actually done that with clients. Yeah. I did that one time and it was a chunk of money and it was the most uncomfortable phone call I've ever had to make, but I, and because it's a really good client. And you know what the guy did? He said, you know what? I don't like it, but it's a hundred percent on me. Yep. When is your next available slot? And he booked it. And I thought, well, this is a client for life, you know, because he totally you find those clients, you marry their you... daughter, you marry into the family, or you, you, uh, you know, you arrange marriage between your son and their daughter. You, you, it, those people are rare. And that's why I think, but that's why we, we went on to do several more <clears throat> projects uh, successfully from there because there was that mutual respect. It's so, uh, such a bad instinct for a freelancer to go, ah, let me just, um, I guess I'm lucky to have the work. I'll just I'll just suck it up on this one and let me get the job over with. Screw all that. Yeah. You, you know, you've got to come in uh, firm and know that, you know, if, it, because when you respect what you do that much, you're going to raise the stakes for everybody and and you're only going to turn in great work and everybody wins at the end.
Yeah, uh, so and that that actually ties in with one of my first horror stories. Let me Great. let me just jump into that. The very early on, I was taking almost any job I could get, and I was working off of recommendations. And I had um, <clears throat> the iconic story I talk about, where the guy says, "Well, when can you get this back to me?" <clears throat> and I said, uh, "I don't know. How about tomorrow morning?" You know, because I didn't know he was going to give me two weeks. Yeah. And then he thought, whoa. And then I came back. I stayed up all night and I came back in with good copy that the client loved. <clears throat> so so I became like their number one freelancer. However, <clears throat> this guy who I dealt with, who understood what writers go through and what a find he had in me, who was willing to work, you know, overnight, <laughs> put me back, <clears throat> put me back with one of the other VPs of marketing, who was a SOB of the first magnitude. And <clears throat> they were trying to groom me before I got to work with this guy to, to actually come in and be part of their staff. They, they really were, I was getting offers like this all the time to not be a freelancer. Come on, come on, you get, you get right. health benefits. You got a steady job. You don't have to, all those things that were like glistening. And I thought, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. So <laughs> one day I went to look at his staff writers. I was wa wandering around and, and the VP wasn't there and I, I had a little bit of time and I'd met the writers before. And I went to go see where they worked. And it turns out there was this windowless office about eight by eight. It looked like a prison cell. <laughs> and they had two desks scrunched up facing each other. Oh, my God. And back then, they were actually working on Selectrix. So this is uh, probably 83, 84, probably, probably 84. And so they had those Selectrix. They were there was no pictures on the wall, and each of them had one sheet of paper on their on their desk, and they were typing away. And I, I popped in. And I said, "Hey guys, how you doing?" They looked up and they they looked kind of scared from it. <laughs> and then they said, "They said, come in, come in, close the door." And they closed the door. Said, yeah, we don't want the VP to see us. The VP had orders, nothing on the wall. Holy he he God. described what kind of lamp they could have. Wow. He told them where to position the typewriter on the desk. And they had orders that if he ever came in and there was more than one piece of paper on the desk, they would be fired immediately. Holy and they just sat there all day staring at each other. We're supposed to, supposed <laughs> to blast out copy. And that drove home to me. You know, never let the bastards win. Don't you know? You know, to have a VP like that of marketing is insane. The guy was a a Nazi thug who, you know, confused domination with with management leadership. Yeah, or yeah. Well, there was no leadership, and it was just you know, it was like f the other guy who I had written the piece for. The first guy I had contacted had asked me, I would tell them why a lot of their, why they were having a lot of trouble with their clients because they weren't treating the writers good. So for me, I was still treating myself more or less like a vendor. I was pretty much taking whatever the fee was. I wasn't in any kind of condition to start demanding things. So I wasn't at that level um, where I, I, I certainly was a year away from being an A-list writer. But you know, I knew in my heart that I wasn't going to give up this freedom that I had. I started to put a price tag on the freedom. And that's that held me in good stead for, hmm. you know, decades. It was just like I've never forgotten the look on those writers' faces. And it's the value. All that comes around to copy is king. Yeah. You know? It must have been uh, interesting just to take a quick side road. Uh, back then, I, I think about, you know, when I got my first freelance gig, uh, first few of them, I was amazed at the process of email. Hey, heard of you? Can you? Oh. Are you available? 
one yeah. phone call and then a PayPal deposit. <laughs> and I'm going, I could, if I wanted to run a scam, this is the easiest money in the world, right? <laughs> but for you, I mean, there, you know, how did it go down back then before the internet? Um, go into the office. And, and so I would go in, and this is where I learned multiple tactics. Now, I had read um, some early versions of NLP. It wasn't called NLP back then. It was called uh, Rational Emotive Therapy, I think, or there was, it was a similarity, Albert Ellis and the guys from there. So, so I, I was studying a lot of psychology, and I was operating off of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is called the Salesman's Bible for a reason. So I went in, and I was applying these tactics. So... I had to go in and I and I had a receptionist that I had to get through. And mm-hmm. that's where I learned to start bringing a piece of gum for her every day mm-hmm. and ask her about her, her kids or her, or something, you know, so that she was a human being. I was the only person to ever treat her like a human being. Yeah. And she would get me into meetings. So sometimes I'd have to wait, but see, she would get me through meetings sometimes. I would go and meet with the VP They would in their office. They would very busily take off a few minutes and start to explain the job to me and then send me off or maybe I'd go meet with, with the creative director or something. And then they would give me half up front uh you back then the jobs were pretty consistent los angeles had two grand a job so you get half up front and you get the other half later sometimes you had to take it on the come line so you would get paid after the job was was delivered Mm -hmm. they would want to put you on a 30 to 90 day uh accounting thing because they had an accounting department and the count and they had to they had to get the invoice from the vp and then it had to be processed, and they had to cut the check, physically cut the check, track down somebody to sign the check, <laughs> and then mail the check to you or have it waiting for you at the receptionist desk or something like that. So, wow. so just, just you know, so so it was a ponderous uh, um, uh, uh, project. By the way, I have one more horror story to tap mm-hmm. in there in just a minute. But mm-hmm. me, the lesson I learned from from being friendly with the receptionist. And and this works virtually too. When when you, anybody you encounter in the in the ladder leading up to the people you want to deal with, <clears throat> I, I I remember walking in the receptionist and she said, "Hi, John. What are you here for?" I said, "I'm here to um, um, uh, maybe uh, 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 see if my if I can speed up my check." She goes, "We certainly can." And she called up accounting, <laughs> Bob and accounting. So I went down and talked to Bob and accounting, who the VPs in marketing had never met or talked to. And Bob <laughs> said, "I can get that done." He cut the check. I got the checks cut, you know, like two weeks early. And the VPs were like stunned and outraged when they found out I've got a little bit of trouble. But it was just using basic human decency and a little bit of, you know, mm. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. You know, it's, it, people wanted to pay me back for being nice to them. Yeah. And I got through to this stuff. I also, the receptionist, when I would call in, she would track down the VPs in business meetings. And, and I go, yeah, can I talk to Ed, the uh, VP? Oh, yeah, John. And so suddenly Ed would get on the phone and go, how did you, how did you find me? <laughs> I said, I said, look, I'm, I'm going to be late or I've got the copy ready or whatever. And we get going on that. Now, the, the, the other thing I just wanted to tack in on that, I was also um, face to face meetings were required back then. So I had to, I had to hop in my rattle trap car and drive down to sometimes these very small agencies to, to pick up the job, to pick up my check, to drop off the job. All of this stuff involved a lot of, a lot of hoofing it around, around the, the L.A. basin, which anybody who's lived down there in the freeway system knows can be a pain in the ass. Yeah. So with this one guy who ran a small agency, it was him, 
and a business partner, I think, who did something, I'm not sure, and then his long-suffering secretary. And the guy was kind of a, a, a son of a bitch. But he lived in downtown L.A., which was like an hour drive for me from, from the beach city I lived, Hermosa Beach. And so I finished a job that he needed on Monday morning. And he happened to live at a beach city about 15 minutes away from me. So I called him up on a Sunday because I had, it wasn't a cell phone back then. I, I forget how I got a hold of him. Must have, he must have given me his home number. And I said, I've got the job ready. Do you mind if I just drop off the package at your, at your apartment or, or your, your condo to save me the trip of going down tomorrow? And there was silence on the phone. And he said, yes. So... I drove over there. I didn't get dressed up. I was in sweats. And I just drove over, and I was literally handing off a package, and I just rang his bell. He came down. I handed the package, and he said, you, and he called me a bunch of names. He said, you would never do this with the larger agencies down there. And he went off on this rant mm. about how disrespectful it was for me to not get up in the morning, shower, shave, and put on a tie, and go down to his office and deliver the thing to him. Wow. And, and then when he was through with the rant, then I still had to go down and pick up my check like uh, uh, at the end of the week. And I went down. When I picked up the check, he said, I've got other jobs for you. And <laughs> I remember immediately, just imme even though I needed the money, immediately I said, there is no way I'm going to work with this guy again. Yeah. You know, this, this respect thing goes, goes back and forth. Yeah. So I don't know what the virtual equivalent to that is, <laughs> but it is the getting down in the trenches with the basic humanity of, of the people you're working with. Yeah. And there are people carrying around unlimited amounts of baggage where they don't think they're getting enough respect they think you're you know they're they have you know it's not enough for them to win you must also lose that's that's a big one right, right. uh sociopathic tendencies of the guys you know and they they consider writers low on the totem pole and if you are not if you refuse to accept that status then they're going to fight you on it so that that can certainly happen over a phone call as well as it can face to face so there's yeah. a lot of that stuff that comes in that you you have to learn slowly and painfully go ahead yeah, yeah. all right I'll, I'll launch into one here um mine i guess the, the big lessons for me were ignoring signs that should have been obvious along the way because <laughs> this happened late in my career uh when i should have just known better uh so the first mistake was i uh, let how i met this person uh cloud my judgment I just assumed if if he's in this room. Wait, wait. Are we talking about college romances or clients? <laughs> it's the same thing, man. Yeah. It's the same thing. And uh, so I thought, you know, where I met him uh, would dictate that he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's plugged in if he's in this room. And so uh, the job was, um, and then again the product. Yeah, I, just all the things that I should have you know, were beyond standard for me. Uh, you know, well, was it was he mean? You mean? I mean, was it? No, was no, it he, he, he was friendly. He was, uh, uh, and but he just his product was. Uh, he had no no proof. He had a lot of great stories about how amazing it was, but he could supply nothing. Uh, he lived in another part of the world, and so there were language barriers with, uh, uh, you know, so he'd say, well, I could get testimonials, but they're all going to be in, a, you know, in a different language. And I said, well, you could at least have Translate them tra transcribed, yeah. right? He's like, yeah, I don't know. They might sound weird. <laughs> so there's this huge language problem. And so 
going along and uh, finally get enough out of him. We, we get some copy together. Uh, I sit and, and then at one point in the process, it's taking longer than, than we originally imagined because of all these roadblocks. Uh, finally dragging this material out of him. And so at one point, he, he, I love that you brought up the thing, you know, money's no problem. He, he gets me on Skype and he screen shares to show me uh, the current uh, value of the ruble. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you don't understand. I need to launch this product. The ruble's about to crash. And if I don't launch this product, you know, soon enough and start collecting some American money, I'm in trouble here. And I'm thinking, oh boy, you know. So now the fate of uh, you know the Russian economy is dictating is how, how this job's going to go. Yeah, right. and so uh, <laughs> and and so finally get the copy done. I remember specifically it was this, it was a uh, I was getting on a plane uh, that day. Sat down with him in the morning. For spent an hour, literally line by line through the copy. Everything's approved. Everything's looking good. Great. Uh, turn it in, and then all of a sudden, you talk about somebody just becoming possessed and 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 becoming unrecognizable the next time you speak with them. Uh, he says, "You know, ah, uh, this is garbage. This is this copy. I'm trying to read it out loud, and it sounds like an alien speaking. It's not even. It's not even English. Nobody would say these words." <laughs> And I'm saying, how can that be? Because we just read through it together. And uh, and so now he's making these crazy demands. I, I say, well, let's get on Skype. No more Skype. It was seriously suddenly became like the, the villain in a bad Bruce Willis movie or something, right? <laughs> no more Skype. We will talk no more. And, and he sends me this email with these demands. I have you have three choices. Uh, you know, one is re- refund his money. I had only been paid half the, the fee. Uh, and uh, number two is do a, uh, re- uh, I forget number two. And then the other one was like, do a complete rewrite until he's satisfied. And I'm thinking, this guy's never going to be satisfied. There's no, there's no answer here, right? Right. And so that was the, f- that was the first time that I, I really pulled out the FU money card and said, you know what? This makes me feel so uncomfortable. It was really, it's an emotional thing to have. Again, you're, 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 you're hot and heavy together and you're really focused on trying to create something great and all of a sudden it goes bad and somebody's not telling you what's really going on, right? Did and you ever find out what was going no, on? No, because you know what I did, John? I said, I'm not responding to this uh, and I will not cater to these ridiculous demands. I will not even, I wrote a long email from my side of it and I said, you know what? I'm not even sending this because I don't want to feel this way anymore. I'm going to cut this emotion off and I'm going to let time heal it. And I'm just not even responding. This is too ridiculous to respond to. And that was my version of FU money on that. It was like, you know, I'm right. forget the second half of the fee. I know what I'm owed. I know how crazy this guy's talking. The only thing I could figure was he didn't have the money to pay the second half. He realized the project had no legs because he didn't have much even to, to, to sell it with. And uh, I think he just, that was his way of abandoning the project and not one, <clears throat> rather than saying, look, man, I'm sorry, this was a mistake. I don't have the money to pay you. Maybe I can make up to it someday. He decided I'll go crazy villain on this guy and just make him never want to talk to me again. And so I, I, and so I didn't. 
I can actually verify that. I actually had that happen with a self-defense client. This is a guy who, you know, who presented to me. I interviewed him for for this uh, video product we were doing, and he said, "Yeah, I was in the uh, Army Rangers, and we were in, you know, Nam." And this happened and this happened and he went through all this stuff and this is background. And I fit some of that into the piece. He got to read the piece. He okayed it, it and it mailed and it did quite well. Then he started getting heat from other guys who knew that he had never been in the Rangers. Mm. And uh, suddenly I get a phone call from him and I pick it up and we everything had been cordial. And, um, you know, he, he, he said, hey, we got to talk. And he just lit into me about mm. making this stuff up and doing all this. I, you know, I said, dude, you signed off on the copy. I don't make anything up. I get everything I get from what you tell me. And he was inconsolable. And I had to sever the, the relationship, had to, had to hang up on. It was starting to get into threats. Mm. And, um, you know, he just would not let that go. And, and uh, people who understand human psychology know that that's, that's transference. That's um, a lot of people who call other people racist are actually racist themselves. They're using transferring to the other. Uh, they're otherizing the person. They're assigning all of their own personal bad traits to the other person and then hating on them. Mm. And it's it's like setting up a straw man. There's a lot of 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 of, of examples in human interaction where um, you can become the bad guy out of almost nowhere. Um, and it's kind of like the, uh, the guy that gets caught cheating. It's like, you know, to the wife said, right. well, who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes, you know? Right. And, uh, it's, you know, you sometimes backed into a corners when the, uh, when the beast gets nasty, when the claws come out. So yes, it could have been any and all of that. That may have been his tactic from the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, right. I actually have known clients who had tactics like that. You know, the one time that I really got cheated was from a guy who was, you know, quite religious in Los Angeles. And I found out afterwards was well known for doing this. And he paid me half the fee, got my copy, said it wasn't up to snuff, mm. refused to pay me the second half and then ran with my copy. Ugh. And he had apparently done that with almost every and the other writers I told, but they just laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and this guy had routinely screwed like printers and mm. uh, mail houses to the point that they were facing bankruptcy because he was forgiven. Mm. So he had this he had this born again idea. That's how he went into the he went into it knowing he had two or three different ways he could screw you. And, and mm. until then, he was going to be nice and everything was going to be great. And just like a lot of sociopaths, he was very charming. So, you know, learning that learning to look behind the initial um um, uh, 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 things you get from people, the impressions you get from people, you know, the, the mm -hmm. first impressions, things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Be very, very cautious on all of this stuff. Remember that mm -hmm. money changes everything. Yeah. I think that was a Cindy Lochner uh, uh, song. Um, you, you can actually be friends with people. And that's why I told that story about the guy that yelled at me about disrespecting and then wanted to do more work with me. It's kind of like that, hey, it's just business. You remember in The Sopranos, when the son loaned money to a guy and then beat him up when he didn't pay it up on time and then wanted to come by and watch football with him. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was, it's that, it's, you know, that was a lesson to me. That was a reminder of some of the sociopaths I'd worked with. Some mm -hmm. of the guys that succeeded not just in spite of themselves, but because sometimes the rules in business are cooked in favor of the guy who is willing to go 
to unethical places, who is willing to do the unethical thing. And most of the writers that I deal with, all of the writers I know, all the writers that are friends of mine, are all ethical guys who have done things similar to what you've done. I've certainly sent money back when the client turned out to be a piece of shit. Yeah. And, you know, even, even when it hurt me to do so, and I think a lot of writers have that story, and that speaks to the higher ethics that you bring to the game. That, be clear on this, that is a disadvantage as, as a freelancer. Yeah. To be a highly ethical and moral person puts you into a slightly inferior position to the sociopath. That doesn't mean you have to lose because you can still understand the game. If you, I have won against people who cheated at poker, you know. Because once I knew what they were doing, you can counter it. Yeah. So, so there's, there's, there's ways to go through the world as a little puppy and be smacked around and surprised every time somebody treats you badly. And then you can go through as a snarling pit bull and bite first. And then you can just go through as an intelligent, well-bred animal that understands the game, knows how to avoid the situations that are avoidable, and knows how to handle the ones that aren't. And that's that's the kind of writer everyone should strive to be. It's just that that uh, in control, but you know, dangerous if needed to be dangerous, yeah. but certainly not used as a as a first tactic. Uh, a deep bag of tricks that includes a lot of of insight into the psychology of how people will try to screw you over, how people will inadvertently screw you over just because they're incompetent. How people will make promises, uh, they're you know who you know write checks their ass can't cash. Uh, once you once you know this stuff, you can live a much better life because you're not running around scrambling on on dreams and promises, but you're you're dealing with facts and you're in control of things like the money. Being yeah. in control of the money is where it's all about. That's why that's why I tell writers price yourself so the half you get up front, if that's your deal, would be enough to make you happy. That that ha and then the second half is gravy on top of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've 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 lived by that and taught that many times with full yeah. credit, of course. But that that's a game changing way to structure your fees. And uh, then, yeah, and then it just it just erases all all of that all that is, if the other guy wants to get squirrely, that's fine. You know, yeah. that's you know you've 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 got the money. So well, I'll, I'll guide everyone to our episode called freelance freelance. Uh, Freelancer Finance 101. Uh, I don't remember the episode number, but scroll through here on the website. And that's a great uh, sister episode to this one because it really does come down to the, what you're saying here, John, is you got you to gotta have some backup. You got to pad uh, the accounts a little bit for these occasions because it takes a huge emotional toll. Uh, so much of what causes burnout is just the constant that's just something that the the client could never quite understand because they're typically not the kind of per you know most people don't come from freelance and then become right. people who hire freelancers right. uh and and i don't the client can never quite understand the emotional toll it takes on a good freelancer because they care they care a little too much very often and uh, that takes an emotional toll. And I, the reason I can recognize this so well right now, John, is because I'm for the first time in a decade, uh, I have zero client money on my calendar. First time ever. And holy crap, it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> Just I give you about six months before you take on another client because well, you've forgotten. It's kind of like kind of like giving birth. <laughs> 
<laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah, that last labor was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, the drugs were great. Yeah, I don't remember anything about it. It couldn't have been that bad. Well, you know, it's it just right now. And you're right. It does. You know, it just becomes the norm. But it feels great. It's it's interesting to recognize how much a mental and emotional bandwidth, even if the actual workload was was not heavy, uh, the mental. Uh, you know, toll that it takes just to have clients in your world and be thinking about their stuff and really wanting to deliver for them. Uh, and it's, you know, it sucks when in hindsight, people start to look for ways that you wronged them or screwed them. Uh, it always feels like it comes back to the, to blame the copywriter. I think, you know, that, but look, that's part of what we do. That's why freelancing is freelance. Copywriting is, is a badge of honor. There are people who should, you know, they can see an easier path to making a living, but they're really in love with the fantasy, the idea, the gunslinger yep. qualities of being a, a, a copywriter. And that's cool. And I get it. And it, but it, you know, it comes with not bathing for days. And, <laughs> it, you know, if you're going to be a gunslinger, like you got to learn to build a fire and you got to learn to survive in the wild and outrun the posse sometimes, you know? Uh, That's right. It's got, you know, I, 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 I have a little um, thing in the back of my mind when I'm dealing with humans. This is not scientific, but just as a basic thing, divide everything into fifths. So, you know, 20% of the population, any population you deal with is going to be just batshit crazy. 20% are going to be crooked. 20% uh, are going to be good people that you you know you may be able to become lifelong friends with and the other uh 40% uh, is is kind of, kind of a mixture kind of a fluctuating mixture of people who are kind of invisible uh couch potatoes just kind of ineffectual i guess is one way to put it so so when 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 you hear people talk about dealing with the movers and shakers you're dealing. You're swimming with sharks. You're, you know, the, the higher up you you work with people, and, yeah. and most on, entrepreneurs who make it become effective people. Whether they were ineffective before, I was a slacker before I became an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and I became a, a very successful entrepreneur. But so I understand. I have a foot in both worlds. But some people never get out of that. So there's a large number of people you can't count on. I'm sorry, they're just not effective people. They, they, you know, they 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 will not stop the car and jump out and pick up the dog that got hit in traffic, you know, and get blood all over them to get them out of the road. They will, they will, you know, they will avoid trouble at all costs. They will not put themselves out to go up and stand up on stage and talk, no matter how qualified they are to do it. They will not join the band, no matter how good they are at guitar. They will, you know, there, there's just a large number of people of that. But on the two ends, the two extremes are the, are the batshit crazies and the sociopaths who are, are separate you know, separate entities. And what you understand, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people you're going to meet that are yeah. that are are some level of detrimental to what you're going to do. You can still deal with them. You can still have relationships with them. You can still have business relationships with them. But you have to understand that most of the world is not like you, especially if you're an ethical, moral, nice person who wants to do a good job and follow the professional's code and do all that. That makes you a minority. That puts you, that puts you at a disadvantage in most business situations unless you adjust for it. So that's that's my that's my great. point. So. Love it. What a great way to go out. Uh, please visit John uh, Carl John Dash Carlton dot com to read all John's amazing archives.
Also, you can buy either of his books on Amazon.com, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together, and the new one, John? Uh, well, it's actually new. It's the one that was number one over the summer. It's yeah. uh, Simple Success Seekers. It just bounced back up to number I, one. I in, saw that. Uh, Congratulations. Marketing. It's been yeah, in like the top five uh, all, all summer. Well, the top you... 10. It's been in the top 10, yeah, all, all, all summer and then uh, briefly bounced out and then went up to number one. I don't know what's going on, but some, suddenly a whole bunch of people decided to buy it. I, I would also suggest that people who want to get in a closer relationship with me look at my mastermind. Uh, we have spots available every now and again it's we're going on to year eight i think wow. with the mastermind uh we've got like the one coming up has dave lacani mm. uh as as a guest um uh, a guest expert i always bring in guest experts and include in the past have been jay abraham joe joe sugarman joe polish dean jackson <clears throat> guys guys of of that 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 quality you've been a guest there uh, multiple times david deutsch is in it and garf garfinkel yeah. so i i just you know i i want to be able to do that and then we should we should push your uh your copy chief yep. uh, dot com uh i can i give kevin the highest uh uh five stars for being a a conscientious and um a well-experienced mentor uh and he's in the game so it's um, it's it's really rare that you can find somebody who not only brings the the kind of wisdom that comes after many years, but is able to apply it and is current at the same time. Thank you, pal. Appreciate that. Yeah, man. Lots of good stuff out there. And of course, our site is uh, pi the number four mm dot com. Uh, mostly, we would love for you to, to su subscribe to us on iTunes. That is how we can gauge. And leave a review. Yeah. Leave a review. That'd be very cool of you and subscribe uh even if you prefer to listen other places like stitcher or something be cool if you subscribed so that we can see those numbers and check on the love uh through the data feed so uh john thanks again for another great episode we're gonna uh we're vowing as as we do in new years to be a little more consistent with these episodes at least one Once a, month. a month yeah so um looking forward to the next one okay pal that was fun i enjoyed it see you then bye